making some space. I, you know, I know you have a need for personal space, but the time to find that is like in first service, not second service. So. This time we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. And as they do, go over some of the announcements for the week. Today and next Sunday, if you're in children's ministry and you haven't had your picture taken yet, if you're a teacher or helper in children's ministry, go back to the children's ministry office after the service and, uh, and get your picture taken for your identification. Um, let's see. Oh, today after third service, we're going to take down the Christmas decorations. Hate to see them go, but we're going to pack them up so they'll be ready for next year. So if you'd like to you know, go out and grab a quick brunch or whatever after the service and come back and help, that would be great. Um, our men's softball team is having their first practice today also at 2.30. So that means the guys who are on the softball team, first thing they'll do is be in here on ladders getting this stuff down, and that'll be a good warm-up for your softball practice. <clears throat> if you'd like to join in with our church softball team, again, show up at 2.30. Uh, the practice is at Iglesia Park right behind us here, and that'll be a great opportunity for some of you guys to get some fellowship and get some exercise and so on. Um, our home fellowships have been on a break, but they're starting up again after the holidays, and we have a new home fellowship flyer. It gives the the locations of our various home fellowships, and I would encourage any of you to consider praying about getting involved in one of those. Go and visit some and see where you may connect or click, and it's a great thing to be able to find a smaller fellowship like that where there's accountability and you can support each other and enjoy just being with each other as a part of the body. Um, couples ministry is, there's a flyer in the bulletin and in the foyer. They'll be meeting on the second Sunday of each month, starting on January 13th at 7 p.m. And uh, they make a point to say they're calling it couples ministry. It's the marriage ministry, but if you're a pre-married couple, uh, well, if you're engaged, they want you to come. And if you even think you have a chance, you know, you've hooked a live one, you're welcome to come. I Personally, if you're just starting to date someone and, and you start dragging them to the couple's fellowship, it might not be a good move. But they say you're welcome, so whatever you can get away with, second Sunday of each month at 7 p.m. Men's wake-up call will resume. That's the Tuesday morning fellowship that meets over at the Corner Bakery on La Paz. There are flyers in the foyer for that. Men's ministry will meet this Saturday at 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall. Um, if you're a children's church worker and you haven't been fingerprinted, they're doing that uh, on Sunday, January 21st. And uh, you can see Pastor Ken for more information. Also, children's ministry seminar is Saturday, January 27th from 10 to noon for all volunteers, teachers, helpers, and service directors, so keep that in mind. Our MOPS group starts up again on Wednesday, January 24th, and so you can register for that, mothers of preschoolers. Um, next Sunday at 1.15 in the fellowship hall, so after the third service, we're having a special little luncheon for Cheryl Delano, who's our missionary to Cambodia. And you're all invited. You don't have to bring any food. The food will be provided for you. And just come out and hear what God's doing in Cheryl's ministry and um, just enjoy fellowshipping together. 
The men's camp out is the end of February, the 23rd and 24th, so you can sign up for that today or pick up a flyer. The College and Career Fellowship meets tonight at 7 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall, so if you're from 18 to 30 or something like that, you're, you're welcome to come on out for that tonight. And I'm trying to think if I forgot anything. I have this whole list of announcements, and then people tell me, oh, yeah, I mentioned this too, and so I got softball that wasn't in here, children's ministry. I think that, oh, you know, another thing, many of you know Michael Schrader, and Michael, are you in this service? I saw you before the service. There he is. Um, Michael's right back there in the back. Tomorrow, he's testing for captain for a fire department, and so he, he's been working hard at this and something we'd love to see God do if that's possible. So will some of you guys who are around Michael lay hands on him, and let's just pray for him right now. Lord, we lift Michael up before you. We thank you for this opportunity. We know how he has regarded being a firefighter as a ministry, and he's used his opportunities to really represent you well and speak of you to others. And God, if this, if this promotion to captain is something that would give him greater opportunities to serve you, then we pray that you would make it happen. Help him to be calm tomorrow afternoon, well, 11 on the rest of the day, Lord, to to do his very best on that test, and we'll leave the results in your hands. So, God, we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. And we also have Amber DeLapp, who's a girl from our church who the Lord has been calling to missions, and she's having an opportunity this week to leave for Haiti, to go to a mission school and get trained for what God's going to, to lead her to do. And so it's a great privilege to have her represent us in a place that's in desperate need, and at the same time, just to hold her up in prayer and support her. So look at her real closely right now. Remember to pray for her, and, and we'll lift her up before the Lord now. Lord, we thank you so much for Amber. Just the example that she's been, the love that she has for you, and the hunger that she has to serve you. Lord, we're excited to see what you are going to do. And so, Lord, help her during these months as she is training and preparing for her life calling. I just pray that you'll continue to make your call clearer and, and Lord, just that you would empower her by your spirit to be able to do all that you've called her to do. God, I pray that as she is there in Haiti in such a dark place that she will feel your light and she will reflect your light. God, just strengthen her for the journey. Give her safe travels. Give her a safe time over there, but a time when she is closer to you than she's ever been. So bless her, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Coming down towards the end of this chapter and winding past well into the second half of the book of Philippians, as you remember if you've been here before, Philippians is a book that Paul wrote from prison telling people how to be happy how to have that joy that comes from the Lord no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what struggles you're facing, what difficulties. Paul exemplified a life of joy in the midst of trials. And in this book, he tries to explain it to his favorite church, the church that was there in Philippi. He, he gives some examples of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And in chapter 2, he talks about Jesus, the supreme example the one who emptied himself, the one who gave of himself completely. 
in order to serve us. And he says, arm yourselves with that same purpose. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The rest of chapter 2, he talks about two guys that they knew well, Epaphroditus and Timothy, and said, these are guys who are doing it right. This is what I'm talking about. And then in chapter 3, he gets more personal, and he shares sort of his own testimony. And it's hard to use yourself as an example, but Paul was an example, and he didn't shy away from being one. As he laid out for them, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the fact that though he was a very religiously righteous person, though he was a man who could rightfully be proud of much that he had achieved, he said, basically, I decided that none of that meant anything. I decided that that was pure dung compared to entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him. And he goes on to talk about how he finally got a focus in his life to where he said, I forgot what lies behind. I let go of the past, and I'm moving forward to what lies ahead, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, whatever mattered before, it doesn't matter now. I'm moving forward. I'm not looking backward. I've released the past, and what I want to hear is that call of God that comes from heaven. I want to hear his voice. I want him to speak to me and to lead me. I want to know him more. And all of that is worth so much more than all this other stuff around us that we see. And now as he's wrapping up the chapter, he lays out for them in verses 17 and following, he talks about role models because he clearly points himself out as a potential role model. And this is important for us because we are influenced by the people that we are around, especially those people we respect and look up to. It's funny how we have the capacity. Being almost anything in life is contagious. If you're around people who are a certain way, they can rub off on you pretty easily. That's why people who are married for a long time start to look alike and think alike. It's just kind of like if you've had a dog for a long time. Eventually the dog looks like you or you look like the dog. I don't know how it works, but you both look alike and you're each looking at the other and going, how did this happen? But we rub off on each other. You may notice if you are around someone who, who speaks with a certain speech pattern, sometimes you, find, you catch yourself when you're talking to them imitating their qualities of speech or the way that they talk. Sometimes it's just downright laughable. When people are in another country and are trying to communicate, you're down in Mexico, you really don't know any Spanish, but why is it that you speak English with a Spanish accent when you're in Mexico and you expect them to understand it? Or you think, oh, simplified Spanish. What you do is you put an L on the beginning and an O at the end, and you think, that's, what, that's how Spanish people are like, oh, where's L bathroom O? And we think that's how we communicate. There's nothing funnier than, you know, white people trying to sound African-American. It's, you know, and I know there are some successful white rappers who do just that. But to me, it's kind of a joke. I, I remember one time as a kid, our pastor really wanted to reach out to the African-American community. And so he invited another church that was, that was predominantly African-American to come and join in a worship service with our church. Now, my pastor was an oaky. He had that 
you know, mentality that comes from there, but he was really trying to be gratuitous. And, and I mean, who doesn't enjoy the way that, that African-American churches worship? And so they had their choir sing, and my pastor was all pumped up and excited, but he got up there and he started speaking jive. And we're like, what is, you know, he's, here's my old oaky pastor speaking in Ebonics. And it, it got worse because he ended up getting up there and just, he prayed a prayer. And he, go, he said this, I'm not kidding you, this was a long time ago, but he, he said, oh God, I just thank you that we can all be here together as a part of your body. And he goes, and God, I thank you that inside we're all white. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because we are all different. God makes each of us different. And yet we become a product of whoever else is around us. We become, you can hear someone from a different part of the country, and you can tell kind of where they're from. Well, Paul is focusing in on this tendency that we have to influence and to be influenced. And beginning with verse 17, he talks about role models, and he says, Brethren, join in following my example, and note or pay attention to those who walk like me, who so walk, as you have us for a pattern kind of a bold statement, really, and I think he's been talking about humility and servanthood, and he definitely exemplified that, and yet, you know, how can you get up and say, here's what you need to do, do what I'm doing, follow me, and yet Paul, they knew how humble he was, and it wasn't a problem for him to communicate that. He could say that, and and they felt good about it. They felt like, you know, you're right, you're someone worth following. But he said, people like me can influence you. Watch how I live. Watch the way I live my life and see how it works out for me. See how it turns out. But he goes on to, with a warning and said, on the other hand, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. There are two basic kinds of role models, some that are worth following and some who will lead you to devastation and to destruction, some who, if you, if you do what they do, there's a horrible price to pay. They're going the wrong way. They're doing things in the wrong way. And the thing that makes it so tricky is, Paul points out, there's me, you can follow me. There are some others that you can follow. You need to find them. But many are going in the other direction. In other words, and that word many is used for a multitude, for tons, there are lots. The implication is most people aren't going this way. And if you just randomly decide who you will live your life like, who you will pattern your life after, you're probably going to be heading in a wrong direction. And that's a bold thing for Paul to say, but it's absolutely true. As you see how he defines the way life is supposed to be lived, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's a rare quality indeed. See, as he's already told us, you know, back up in verse 3, he's talking about not having confidence in the flesh. The truth is, most people have confidence in the flesh. That's all we can trust. 
That's all we can depend on is what we can do. But as he goes on down and says in verse 12, I haven't already attained. I'm not acting like I've arrived. This is an important preface to saying you can imitate me. You can use me as a role model because he said I haven't arrived. Well, most people think they have arrived. Most people are done. They've done their stuff. They've lived their life. They've grown as much as they want to grow. And now they really don't want to be stretched anymore. Most people now don't want to change. They're just hoping to hang on to what their flesh has achieved up until this point. And then again, in, in, earlier in the chapter, as he talks about in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are before. And again, Paul is saying, it's all about releasing the past. Don't live in the past. Don't live looking backwards. Don't live bragging about what you've accomplished already or don't live devastated by where you've failed. The truth is, most people aren't living their lives free from their past. Most people are either chained to their past because of their failure, destroyed and devastated by areas in which they've fallen short, and that past is dictating their future. Or they feel pretty good about themselves, feel pretty, pretty good about what they've accomplished, and they now can't get past that. They're resting on their laurels, and now it's their interest to protect what they've earned. Either way, it's devastating. And either way, between one extreme or the other, you find that most people are there. They feel that most of their life is behind them. Their better days aren't ahead. Their better days are either, you know, non-existent because of how they botched their life up, or their better days were back in the day. The truth is, most people live that way. And then as far as the upward call of God, hearing from God, most people live their lives completely controlled by the voices that they hear down here, by earthly voices, by voices of experience, by voices of counsel, never hearing, never plugging into God calling us at all, never hearing what he has to say, but instead listening to all those other voices or listening to our own voice. We talk enough and listen to ourselves and we think there, now we've got a handle on it. But basically, most people live their lives in this sphere, live their lives in this way. And it's a rare thing indeed to do what Paul said you need to do, to let go of your confidence that you have in the flesh, to let go of the past, to allow your life to focus moving forward, to realize that you haven't arrived yet, God's still working in your life, and then ultimately to hear that voice that's from heaven, to hear the voice of God as he leads and guides you in your life. The truth is, that's really rare. Most people are doing just the opposite. And so as Paul again shares, he goes, what I've been telling you these last three chapters, that's what I'm trying to live. And I hope you can see that in me. And I hope you will follow that in me. And I hope you'll keep your eyes open because you will see other people who exemplify this also. The problem is they're hard to find. The problem is these qualities are very rare indeed. But now he goes on to talk about the bad role models too. They're much more commonplace. Many walk of whom I have told you often. Paul goes, man, I've talked about this a lot. This is nothing new. I've told you often. And now I tell you even weeping 
that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. When Paul talked about people who were heading in the wrong direction, he does it with weeping. He does it because, not because he's, we're better than everyone else. So often when we make a statement like, you know, most people are really messed up. There's only a few of us that have it together. We almost say it with a glee. And, and sometimes when we can say, you know, boy, today you guys have chosen to be in church and this is exactly where you ought to be and God's going to bless you and you're really special people because of it. All those other people out there, look at all those cars driving by. They're not going to church. They're out there feeding their flesh and destroying themselves and they're going to hell and we're glad they are. You know, it's about time. You don't get that feeling from Paul. He's going, I'm weeping when I'm telling you this. And he wasn't just talking about the heathens. He was talking about pastors. He was talking about people who were teaching, representing themselves as being of God and yet they were leading people astray. And he says, it breaks my heart. And how to it must break the heart of God to know that most people still don't get it. He designed our lives in such a way that we should function with a joy and a freedom. He gave his son to die for us so that we have a ticket to understand we're covered. It's done. It's finished. We can come boldly before God. We can walk in sincerity and love and humility with him. It's taken care of and how it must hurt him that most of us most of the time, don't get it. And so Paul said, I'm not gloating when I say this. My heart is broken because this is the truth. And he says, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Very few people would say, I'm an enemy of the cross of Christ. But what is the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ says that Jesus died for you, and that's all you need. You place your faith in him and he will save you and he will give you a life and he watches out for you and he will lead and guide you. He will speak to you. But to add to the cross is to be an enemy of the cross. The people that, who he was addressing, what they were adding was primarily religious pride. They were making a list of rules, jumping through hoops, going through motions and saying, this is what life is. It's like me, and I've arrived, and you ought to look to me, and you should follow me. This spiritual pride. The truth is, the cross will never give an opportunity for you or I to be proud of what we've done or to feel like, yes, I've arrived, for us to live in a way that we have the answers. The cross means that's where we arrive. But to think we've arrived anywhere else is to deceive ourselves is to be a bad role model for everyone else. Spiritual pride is just absolutely disgusting. And to take the simple faith in the cross of Jesus Christ and turn it into a big religious system of a lot of rituals, teaching people to go through the motions without even knowing God or connecting to him is to go backwards. And he goes, you know, it's not that these people are intending to be enemies of the cross of Christ. But if you add anything to the simple gospel, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ because if what we communicate to people is what you need to do is clean your life up and go to church and be a good person and, and share your faith with others, then you will have arrived. We're an enemy of the cross of Christ because it's simply faith in him. It's receiving his grace. To add to that is to take away from that as we saw when we were studying through the book of Galatians as well. 
But unfortunately, most people are wrong. Most people live in a way that's wrong. And that's why it's so dangerous for us to just follow whatever it is that everyone else is telling us to do. Now, certainly if you allow the world of non-Christian values to dictate what you do, you're definitely going to be wrong. But the truth is, even if you let other Christians set the pace for you, if you let what they think and what they do determine who you are and what you do, you're also in a precarious position. Because as Paul said, there's a bunch of bad examples. There are very few good examples. Now, it's hard to talk about this without, you know, coming off like, I'm better than you or whatever. But Paul kind of lays it out. And through his tears, he says, I'm telling you, you're listening to the wrong voices. You're not hearing the voice that's from heaven. I talk a lot about the fact that the majority of people are almost always wrong, and it's true. If you just do what most people do, you'll be wrong. It's true in almost every field of endeavor. If you find someone who does something very well, you watch them closely, but most people aren't doing what they do. If you want to be a good golfer, don't follow me around the golf course. Don't look at the way I golf. I finally got so frustrated, I, I quit golfing quite a while ago. Every once in a while I go swing a club, but I'm a terrible golfer. And that's with cheating, using a hand wedge and everything, and, I, and, I, and creative math, and I'm still bad. I cheat and I shoot a 120, you know? So, but if you really want to know what golfing's supposed to look like, go follow Tiger Woods around. Now, the truth is, on the golf tour, there's no one. Oh, he doesn't win every single tournament. He only wins when he wants to. But he knows it would ruin golf if he won every tournament. But there isn't anyone on the tour that works harder than Tiger. There isn't anyone that spends more time training than he is. He has a real unique gift, and he does golf in a unique way. And he'd be a good one to watch if you want to know what a good golfer looks like. But the truth is, if you go down the street to the golf course and go out and watch you know, all these old guys in their bright pants, and you're, you're going to see something different than Tiger Woods. And most people who golf are lousy golfers. And it's true in everything else. It's true in life as well. I wish it weren't true. I, I wish I could say, you know, all you need to do is find out what everybody thinks and then you'll be doing good. But the truth is there are many who walk in a way that isn't leading to what you're really trying to accomplish. It's why it's so dangerous in a church to decide that you're going to be led by what people think. You know, that what you do is you poll the community and find out what they want. Why don't you go to church? What would you like in a church? And then you make your church that way, and every once in a while you put a survey out to the people in the church and go, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Are those donuts you know, good enough? Or, you know, do we need some sort of other? Should we be doing burritos? Or, you know, what? And then, and then we just decide, okay, here's what the church is because this is what the people want. As Americans, we're used to that. And, I, and in a certain respect, you're better off with a democracy than you are with a, a monarchy with a jerk on the top of it. 
But the church is something that's supposed to hear from God. And the truth is, for the most part, although I listen, and I'm not the leader of this church either, by the way, but it, it, Jesus Christ is, and I'm trying to follow him. And I, I'm thankful for people that God has raised up to su help and support in that. But the truth is, though I will listen to what people have to say, because I know God could be speaking through them. If we get a majority of people that feel a certain way, that doesn't mean it's the voice of God. In fact, if a whole lot of people think something, it's a pretty good indication that maybe it isn't. The problem with church nowadays is that everyone's trying to please people. Now, if what you want to do is to build a big church, then that's probably a smart thing to do. Find out all the people who aren't coming to church and what would it take for you to get them to come to church and, hey, run those surveys and do that stuff and woohoo, we get a lot of people. But you know what you and I both need? We need to have our cages rattled. We need to be made uncomfortable. We need to hear those truths that are difficult for us to swallow. And that's not what is going to warm people's ears and tickle their hearts. Those are things that are very painful to hear sometimes. And it might be almost no one who is saying them. Now, we don't ever, we aren't ever offensive just to be offensive. Because there are a lot of ways of being offensive that aren't right either. But at the same time, God help us if, if we're learning what God wants us to do by listening to what people are doing. The majority of people are usually wrong. Now, as Paul goes on to talk about these role models further, he, he talks about in verse 19 what their end is, who their God is, what their glory is, and what they're thinking, where their mind is. And this zooms in some more for us so that we can recognize the wrong examples, so that we can recognize examples that will not help us to hear the voice of God, but that instead will cause us to focus on the world. As he says, whose end is destruction. The end, where they're headed. See, again, remember Paul earlier said, I haven't arrived. As soon as someone acts like they've arrived, you already should know something's weird here. Something's wrong. As people begin to say, yeah, everything that's, that's good that's happened, let me tell you about it. It's all in my past. See, for people who are living their life in the wrong way, being the wrong role models, being those who have confidence in the flesh, they, don't, they think they're already at their end. They think that it's, there are beautiful result of the process of this evolutionary work that led them to the point where they just get better and better and better. And the older I am, the prouder I am, because look at me. The truth is, anybody who understands anything spiritually will be humbled and, and, and will feel like, man, I haven't arrived. Isn't it funny for a guy who says, I haven't arrived to say, now follow me? But it's because it's that process of hearing from God that matters. The truth is, if we aren't doing what he says, if instead we're living our life dictated by the past or puffed up with our own pride, destruction is coming. See, pride comes before a fall. Haughty spirit comes before destruction. We will crash and burn if we live our lives in any other way other than to listen carefully with a focus to the voice of God. If we let the things of this world, the voices of this world, the values of this world get in the way of us following God, destruction will be our end. 
And then he goes on to say their God is their belly. The only way to hear from God is to focus and move forward with him. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's how you know him. And if you want to follow the real God, it takes that kind of focus. It takes that kind of humility. It takes that kind of releasing the past in order to connect with God. So therefore, most people aren't hearing the voice of God. It's as simple as that. And I, don't, I think most people would admit they don't hear the voice of God. The ones that really scare me are the ones that think they hear the voice of God, and it totally contradicts what God says in his word. So their God is their belly. In other words, if you, if you won't listen to God in heaven, eventually you're going to create your own God that's basically you flying by the seat of your pants. It's basically you doing what seems good to you. So you read in the Bible and there's a verse that sounds like it's hard to accept. And you go, eh, I don't think that's God. Okay, well, Jesus said this. I don't think Jesus really said that. Well, the Bible says this. Well, I don't, think, I don't feel that way, so I'm not going to do it. God being you, you're your own God. You want to see your God if you won't listen to heaven, look in the mirror because those are the two options. Your God being your belly. Now, it's funny that he would create that word picture because so often all we have to do is look at our belly and find out what our God is, where we put everything. Now, before you get too offended, let me at least be an equal opportunity offender. If you're sticking out of your shirt, your God might be your belly. But if you're really ripped and buffed and you're going, I'm glad Dave's going after those fat people, and, and you spend hours in the gym to get those rippled abs, and, you, you know, and that's what, maybe your God's your belly. Maybe your God is getting a really good-looking belly. Either way, it's a sign of, if we aren't following the real God, ultimately, we're just going to follow ourselves. And whatever feels good, whatever seems good at the time, and most people are just that way. We do what seems like a good idea for us to do, and ultimately we are just our own God. And we pay the consequences of that. We pay the price of that. And if you shut out the voice of heaven, the only voice that's left is your stomach growling and telling you, I'll tell you how to live. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you how it works. For people who are on the wrong road, these are people whose God is their belly. But he goes on to say, whose glory is in their shame. Another thing that happens when you shut out the voice of God, and when you live with your, with your life in reverse, looking backwards, you'll start to take pride in things that really you should be ashamed of. Paul had so many events from the past that made him popular, that as he became a Christian, one reason why he called them done was because he realized some of those things were shameful he thought he was doing the right thing but it really wasn't coming from God it was coming from his warped concept of religion in so many ways when we become puffed up when we start to hold ourselves up and to say you know look at me I'm so proud what are you proud of what's your glory so often your glory maybe ought to be something that you're ashamed of now, 
if you, you listen to what a terrible golfer I am, and you might be there going, I'm a scratch golfer. I'm a good golfer. Well, how much time and money did you invest so that you could become such a good golfer, even though you're still terrible compared to Tiger Woods? Now, was that really worth the bragging rights? A few trophies or, you know, having your name mentioned in the small print in your community newspaper because you got a hole-in-one on some executive three-hole? You know, is that... I mean, hey, congratulations. And I'd suggest to you, since Paul says, man, there's lots of people who are living here, ask yourself, what do I take glory in? What is it that I'm really proud of? And so often, if you look at it, you might just go, wow, that's kind of a shame in a way. And that's something that compared to eternity, compared to reality, compared to what matters most, Oh, I am so proud. Look at all that I've achieved. Look how much money I have. Aren't you kind of embarrassed when there are so many people who don't have anything? Can't you, can't you see that's not worth living for? If God has blessed you, so it's so that you can share with others. But as soon as you become self-absorbed and start to accumulate, and you see money as a way of keeping score, you ought to have the sense to be embarrassed living like that. And I think for all of us, the way we live in our country compared to the rest of the world, hey, God has blessed us, but it's not something we should be real proud of. It's something that, if anything, we should feel like, boy, how can I, how can I give some of this away? How can I use it to help others or to minister to others? Most people's glory is a shame. For most people, what they're proud of is something they should be embarrassed about. And that's what he says here. And finally, he says, they set their mind on earthly things. And this is what it comes down to, what he started talking about, confidence in the flesh, now says, focusing your mind on earthly things. It's making a decision to live your life saying what matters is what's here. What matters is what I can have, what I can control, what I can accomplish how I can hear the accolades and the positive voices that I really want to hear. That's how I'm living my life. Hey, most people, whether they admit it or not, that's what they're trying to do. They're living for right here and right now. And we need to be careful because we can fall into that mentality so easily because it's all around us. We have so many great examples of it. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy for me to go from where, you know, I see people flooding into the church and, and, and just going, God, I, I thank you so much for the way that you're blessing. And then a, a minute later, I can be like, we're getting pretty big. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it's like, what happened? What, how, what kind of crazy thinking is that? That ultimately, somehow I'm going to define myself and define our church based on how many people are here? Is that, does that matter? That's embarrassing. That should be a shame when we think that way. But Paul said, that's the way most people think. Their mind is set on the things of this world. We cannot get our attention off this world long enough to hear the voice of heaven. And that is sad. If you want a good role model, read through this passage 
And you'll see there are two kinds of people in this world. One type that's very common, another type that's very rare. Pattern your life after those rare individuals who are doing what Paul is saying. Those people who have released the past, whatever they've accomplished, they don't have to tell you about it. Whatever's valuable, it's, it's souls that are valuable to them. Whatever everyone else is saying, they're, they're hearing a different voice. They're hearing a voice that's coming from heaven. And if you can find people like that, those are good role models. The problem is most of them, you'd never know it by looking. I'll tell you flat out, most of them are not pastors or Christian celebrities. They're people who faithfully live life every day, simply releasing the past, receiving the grace of God, walking in it, loving people one person at a time, and living life in such a way that if you pay attention, you'll go, wow, that's who I want to be when I grow up. I have a lot of examples that I just say, that's who I want to be when I grow up. And most of them, you've never heard of them. They aren't the celebrities at all. They're people who simply live life listening to a higher calling. And we need to look for those role models. Sometimes to find them, you have to read biographies of people who are dead already. Because during their life, you would have never heard of them. They didn't trumpet themselves. They didn't have PR firms you know, flashing their picture all over everywhere. Only after they die, somebody goes, man, was I touched by this person. Let me tell you about it. And so I think reading biographies, you need to understand that biographies sometimes exaggerate who the person was. They, you know, they were all normal people. So, you know, don't buy into the myth that some people just live on this whole other plane. No, if they did that, it would be obvious. It's people who very simply listen to the voice of God. And I love reading about people who left that kind of testimony. But I also pay attention to people I meet every day and talk to because I'm looking for these kinds of examples. And you should too. It's a wise thing to do. But not only that, pay attention to those people who would pull you away from that mentality of hearing from God and instead they want you to hear from them. Instead, they have their plan, their agenda, their ideas, and they speak for a lot of other people. You know, a lot of people tell me that Be careful. Their end ultimately is destruction. The belly, the God they're listening to, it's their own stomach. It's their own gut feeling. And ultimately, the mind is set on what's down here instead of what's up there. It's rare to find people who are the examples that Paul is talking about. As a result, for each of us, it should be the desire of our heart to be those examples. To say, God, I, don't, I thank you for some of the people that you brought into my life who set this example for me. But more than that, God, I want to be this person. I want to be the person who says, look, I haven't arrived. It's not about me. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about hearing from him. You don't need to hear from me. I want you to hear from him. Wouldn't you love to be that kind of person? Wouldn't you love to live that way that you can influence others so that they can hear what matters instead of being caught up with all the stuff that doesn't matter, that ultimately is an embarrassment that we put so much time and energy into that stuff? Paul, in talking about the contrast of these two types of role models, he says, I can't even talk to you about this without weeping because the potential that is there 
in the life of every man, woman, and child is to experience the love and the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that God has for you. And it breaks my heart that most people don't get it. And it breaks my heart that most people are chained to the past, are slaves of what's happened before so that they can't move ahead in freedom. And Paul says, man, that hurts. That's sad. But the cross, it means that we can move forward. It means that today is a fresh start. It means that we don't have to be a product of what this world wants to make us. We don't have to please anyone on this earth. What we have to do is hear the voice of heaven. What we need to do is respond to him. The pressure's off us. It's not about us. Pressure's off the flesh. You can't do it with the flesh. The flesh will only get in the way. It's hearing the voice of God. That's what matters. And God is speaking to you today. And he's saying, you want to go with the flow? Go with the majority? Do things like most people do them? That's a shame. A tear trickles down his eye as he sees us make that decision every day. Or he realizes there's another decision we can make. You know what? I'm going to be different. I'm going to let go of everything and nothing's going to matter compared to hearing the voice of God and doing what God tells me to do, being who he has called me to be. And I believe sometimes on a moment-by-moment basis, you will decide which role model you will follow. And ultimately, as days add into weeks, add into years, you'll determine the kind of role model you will be, the influence that you'll have on others. May God help us to realize that it's not about us, that we haven't arrived, but that he has accomplished all that we need and we can rest in him and we can depend on his grace and we can count on the cross and we can stop striving and struggling and caring about things that don't matter, but instead to listen to the voice of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. And God, this wasn't a real feel-good message. But when we are heading for destruction, I think we need you to slap us around a bit. I think you've done that. Thank you for what you've done. Help us to shut out all the other voices and just to hear from you. To have that focus. To follow the examples of godly people we know and more than that, to aspire to be those kinds of godly examples. People who will stand up and say, it's not me. I haven't arrived. But I've learned to listen to the right voice. So Lord, help us to grow more into the image that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.